Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Discovery. Time flies when you're learning super cool stuff. I'm Nate. And I'm Callie. If you're dropping in for the first time, welcome to Curiosity, where we aim to blow your mind by helping you to grow your mind. If you're a loyal listener, welcome back. Today, you'll learn about how watching cleaning or decluttering videos affects our mental state, the abilities of super recognizers, and a recent discovery into how manipulating the neurons in paralysis patients might be able to improve their mobility. Without further ado, let's satisfy some curiosity. I have something of a confession to make. I'm kind of obsessed with cleaning and organizing videos. Those videos where someone folds a pile of shirt into perfect little stacks or transfers snacks from their packaging to those nice clear containers. I find it very calming. Oh, totally. It's pretty well known at this point that doom scrolling on your phone is bad for your mental health. And these videos kind of feel like the opposite of that. Exactly. Our brains like things to be organized. Less active stimulation surrounding us is equal to relaxation. This is confirmed by a Minnesota-based psychologist named Christy Phillips, who says that this is the reason why the countless declutter TikToks or shows like Tidying Up with Marie Kondo are so popular. Even talking about them kind of has me excited to go put one on later. My biggest problem with decluttering for myself is that there's always a few things I have a sentimental attachment to, but that becomes a slippery slope. A few items becomes a few more items becomes a, hi, my name's Callie. I'm a hoarder. How are you doing? (laughs) Yeah, totally. And Christy Phillips says that's a complicated part of the decluttering equation. Maybe it is sentimental, or maybe the items cost a lot of money, which makes us feel guilty. It's overwhelming, and a huge reason why these videos are so effective is because they can inspire us to say, okay, maybe I can clean this up too. So you're saying that watching these videos is actually good for our mental health? Here's some hard science for you, Cal. In our cerebral cortex, the outermost layer of the brain, there are systems responsible for higher functions like planning, attention, memory, and so on. Whenever we're hit with uncertainty, this area will send a signal out to the rest of our bodies, which activates a sense of anxiety. The reason these videos are so effective? Order, control, stability. The things our brains crave during times of uncertainty. That's surprisingly simple. But what if you turn off the videos and feel uncertain again? Is the solution to watch more videos? Because that starts to seem unhealthy. The research agrees with you there which is why the recommendation is to practice moderation with these videos. Use the stability as a quick win to center yourself and figure out the next step you need to stay centered. Cool. Okay. What are some examples of those next steps? It's the classic mental health stuff. Don't spend too much time on your phone before bed. Get exercise and fresh air, etc. Research says that the videos should be used as more of a jumping off point for healthier habits. On the other hand, if you still feel tired, anxious, or unhappy after watching the videos— then there might be a deeper problem. What do you mean? Well, it could mean a few things. The obvious answer is that the content just might not be for you, and therefore you shouldn't watch it just because it works for others. But some people binge the content and find themselves unhappy because they're actually going through a form of avoidance. The researchers say that these people have pre-contemplative minds. They want change, but they aren't ready for it yet. Okay, that's kind of sad. So it's using the videos as a form of wish fulfillment, but for a topic that's physically within reach, even if mentally it's not quite yet? Exactly. And at that point, the problem becomes more of an emotional one where you have to ask yourself, what is holding me back? Why can't I let go of these things? Do the researchers have any solutions that might work? One of them suggested harnessing the concept of neuroplasticity, 
This is the brain's ability to form new synapses and connections. So, for instance, if something fills you with dread, it's the ability to condition yourself to turn that dread into optimism. You can do this by watching other videos, reading other articles, or simply stopping and thinking about what's holding you back. And in an unusual twist, this researcher actually tested it out for herself. Oh, cool. Uh, what'd she do? After a burst of anxiety about downsizing a home she was moving out of, she opened TikTok and searched hashtag empty nest life, hashtag downsizing, and hashtag beach living. She wanted to associate the idea of downsizing with pure contentment. According to her, within minutes, she went to her basement and started digging into her boxes to begin her downsizing journey. Whoa. And all of this started with decluttering videos, huh? All of it started with the videos. And the truth is, none of us need these videos to make changes in our lives, but the research is there. They're an effective starting point for us to finally make the transformations we need. If you've ever seen a mob movie before, maybe you've heard somebody say in a thick Brooklyn accent, I never forget a face. <laughs> and you That's an amazing you, Brooklyn oh. accent. <laughs> Listen, it was better than my last one. <laughs> and okay, you've thought to yourself, okay, whatever, but... A recent study has revealed that there are people who can do this, and they're called super recognizers. Not only can they recognize any face they've seen before, but they can do it fast. I always like to think I'm good at recognizing faces, but the truth is, I just pretend I recognize anybody who approaches me to be polite. Yeah. But <laughs> I don't think I know the term super recognizer. Aside from not forgetting a face, what else makes someone a super recognizer? Think of a photographic memory, but only for faces. Maybe they catch a glimpse of their sixth grade science teacher in a mirror and know it's them in nanoseconds. Or maybe they saw a criminal run by them in the streets and are able to successfully identify them for the police. Until recently, it was believed that this was less of a skill and more of an obsession. That super recognizers, who make up just less than 2% of the population, study faces religiously until they memorize every detail. All right, so how does it actually work? Well, the short version, they look at faces like we all do, but faster and more accurately. The longer version, when super recognizers look at a new face, even for a second, they divide it into parts and then store each part in the brain as composite images. So nose goes over here, eye color over there, etc. What makes this even more impressive is that a super recognizer can then recognize those parts individually. So if I showed one of them your eyebrow, they'd be like, oh, hey, that's Nate, the science podcast guy. How did they figure out that the super recognizers could do this? Eye tracking technology. A device was set up that monitored how a set of super recognizers' eyes moved and then analyzed that movement and which pieces of visual information they absorbed. What they found was that super recognizers didn't really look most people in the eye. Their eyes quickly fluttered over all the other areas of the faces of others, especially if they were new faces. It's that simple. So if you're saying I start scanning people's faces like that, I can become a super recognizer? <laughs> no, okay, so it's not that simple. Uh, it's not clear if this is rooted in something psychological yet, but the best idea the researchers have is that this is related to a combination of empathy and curiosity. Don't make a show name. <laughs> Don't make a joke. Don't make a joke. Fine. But what do you mean by empathy and curiosity? Those seem like easy things to manufacture for yourself. They're not. When these people were hooked up to monitor their brain activity, huge spikes occurred in brainwave activity 
every time they saw a new face. These spikes are so far unexplained, but what isn't unexplained is that super recognizers' abilities go beyond simply recognizing a face days later. In many cases, they can recognize an adult by a photo of them as a child instantly. Okay, wow, that's a bit odd. I bet there's a huge practicality to being able to recognize people that quickly, too. Oh, there really is. Police departments in parts of Europe have actually taken to hiring super recognizers to help identify subjects through security footage. One officer in Britain is one of these people who has successfully identified over 2,000 subjects since he was recognized as a super recognizer by the department in 2012. That's actually really impressive. But what about facial recognition software? I hate to take the side of the machines here, but wouldn't they be more reliable than a super recognizer? Ah, you'd think so, but I'll let another example speak for itself. In 2011, a number of protests turned into riots on the streets of London after the police death of a 29-year-old. The department hired 20 super recognizers and used facial recognition software to identify the protesters through CCTV footage. The 20 super recognizers managed to identify nearly 600 suspects successfully. One man named Gary Collins is responsible for 200 of those identifications alone. They were able to recognize the faces because many of them were already known to the police so they could remember the faces from the police archives and compare them to the security footage. Whoa. Okay, and how did the software do? <laughs> the software identified a suspect. A suspect, as in just one? Just one. And here's the kicker. It was a suspect Gary Collins had already identified. <laughs> okay, well, consider me a true believer now in the super recognizer. What's next for the study of these guys? finding a more mobile way to track their eye movements in public. We definitively know that super recognizers exist. The goal now is to finally answer the age-old question of how their brains work. Paralysis is one of the most tragic and debilitating things that can happen to the human body, right? But there's new research that suggests that there might be a way to reverse a spinal cord injury through, get this, electrocution. Okay, that's not where I was expecting you to go with this. I thought you were going to hit me with like a groundbreaking surgery or a pill made from poop. So <laughs> why electricity? Well, well, that does seem maybe more right up our alley. Uh, <laughs> no, it, it, electricity. And it, it turns out it's because when you receive a spinal injury, the spine itself can be repaired, but the nerves connected to the spine can't be repaired. And if there's an injury like this, it cuts off communication between the brain and spinal neurons that control movement. Think of it like in a horror movie when the killer cuts the phone line. The spine needs help moving, but the call to the cops can't be placed. Okay, I mean, it's a good analogy. But counterpoint here, a phone line can be replaced, but neurons can't be replaced, right? That's right. But a new study has revealed that there are nerve cells in the spine that can spring back to life through electrical stimulation. They tested something called epidural electrical stimulation on nine mice with damaged spines who were unable to walk. Almost immediately, the mice were able to walk again while the stimulation was happening. Even more miraculously, some of the mice saw permanent improvement of their lost motor functions. Oh, okay. So they sent an electric shockwave into the spine of a mouse and the spine came to life again? That's uh, yeah, mostly right. But what's interesting is that overall neural activity in the spine decreased during the stimulation. That means that the spine reviving is a correct description, just not in the way that we would expect. 
See, the response was actually driven by smaller neuron subgroups rather than all of them at once. So there are certain neurons that affect how our brain and spine communicate, and we didn't know about them before. Right. And so the scientists got to work mapping out which neurons were specifically making this happen. It didn't take long for them to figure out that the mobility gene, which is called VSX2, was actually located in the excitatory lumbar interneurons, which are a set of neurons that activate feelings in our feet. And a really impressive thing that you managed to say all in one go. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that is awesome. How did they even map these things out anyway? They used advanced light-based stimulation techniques. The spines get electrical charges through light that show us how when the VSX2 expressing neurons are deactivated, mice with spinal cord injuries are no longer able to walk. A shot of light to see the process, followed by a shot of electricity targeted at that area and ending with a mouse being able to walk again. Absolutely amazing. Um, It would probably take a lot more to help humans walk though, right? Yes, the researchers did make a point to say that walking isn't just reliant on these neurons. It's controlled by numerous neural populations throughout the brain and spinal cord. Unfortunately, we don't know where those neurons' locations and connectivity are at the moment, but it's still a huge first step. This could lead the way to create more targeted treatments for paralyzed patients. These neurons can flat out be manipulated to regenerate the spinal cords of not only mice, but everyone. All right, well, one small step for mice. One giant leap for science. That might be our worst ending yet. Ah, there was barely any poop involved in this ending. (laughs) Let's recap what we learned today to wrap up. Marie Kondo, eat your heart out. It turns out that watching decluttering videos can actually be good for our mental health. By watching these videos in moderation and using them as inspiration, we can actually decrease chaotic thinking and increase our internal feelings of control. The next time somebody tells you they never forget a face, you can rest assured knowing they might be telling the truth. And they might be able to save some lives in the process. Research suggests that super recognizers who don't forget human faces recognize people quicker and more efficiently than facial recognition software. A spinal injury is one of the most debilitating injuries a human can receive, but new research suggests that there might be a way to manipulate neurons in the spine to regain mobility again. The process has only been tested on mice so far, but a whopping 100% of the mice regained motor functions through electrical stimulation. Should the experiment proceed, we may see a permanent cure for paralysis in the future. Curiosity Daily is produced by Wheelhouse DNA for Discovery. You can follow our show wherever you get your podcasts, and we would love it if you could take a second to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. 